Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Headed to Atlanta later this week. Welcome back. Outkick 360 kicking off our number two. Outkick the tailgate live in Atlanta from Stats Brew Pub. We will be live on Saturday. Special start time from the SEC championship game. One o'clock Eastern, noon Central across the Outkick network. You can join us. We'll have special guests as well. Clay will be there with us. It's going to be a blast as Alabama battles Georgia for the SEC title. Alabama trying to win and, in my opinion, stay in the college football playoff. I don't know how the committee would keep them in with a loss Can't. at three. Uh, well, it would take uh, – uh, there is a scenario. It would a lot take – chaos behind them. Yeah, uh, yes. Cincinnati and Oklahoma State losing, for instance. Um, and even that, again, there's some debate. But I think Alabama stands a, a chance here. I, I, Vegas knows something when you look at that spread. And this is Georgia's, by far Georgia's biggest test. Alabama has been tested throughout the season. Can they give Georgia the test? And I bring it up now because what a moment this is for Kirby Smart. We know the record when former coaches under Nick Saban face him. And we know what Jimbo Fisher was able to accomplish with Texas A&M's victory earlier this season over Alabama. He was the first to do it, to beat Saban head-to-head. Kirby Smart... Faces that big moment Saturday, the first one. Georgia hasn't won a national title since 1980. There are memes going around social media making fun of that. Uh, Everything that's happened since 1980 or how far you have to go back uh, to reach 1980 for what it might mean for people that are familiar with Georgia football today. it's, It's funny to think about, but it's also fun to think about what Kirby Smart can accomplish by taking uh, the team he played for to a national title run and hoisting that trophy. And it starts by being a favorite against Alabama. Chad, you mentioned this, how rare it is that Alabama is an underdog. You pointed this out earlier this week. 92 straight games. They have been the favorite since October of 2015. That was the last time they were an underdog in, in any game. That game, I believe, was at Georgia in, in 2015. Uh, going going all the way back to then, I have to go back and check. But ninety two straight games, it is certainly rare for Alabama to be an underdog against anyone. Um, I've said this since probably week five of this season, watching this Georgia team. They're really going to have to screw it up to not win the national title. They are that much better than everyone else. They are that much. Their defense is such a separator from every other mm-hmm. team in the country that they're going to have to screw this thing up to lose it. It starts this weekend getting that Alabama behemoth off their back for Kirby Smart, for that Georgia team. I think they're a lot better than Alabama. I also know Nick Saban and know the history with these two programs and know the history with these two coaches head-to-head. So I am not counting Alabama out of this game, but Georgia should win. And Hutton, you nailed it. We're going to have a big weekend down in Atlanta. Stats Brew Pub, 
6 to 8 p.m. Friday night. We've got an event with Buffalo Trace uh, with OutKick. And then 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern leading up to that SEC championship game, we'll be back at Stat. So if you're in Atlanta, Alabama, Georgia fans, or just anyone in Atlanta want to come by and say hi, please do so. And we have – it's on Marietta Street, by the way, there. It's Stats walking distance to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Stadium. We have uh, gear we're giving away, signed. We have a signed helmet from Herschel Walker, a signed helmet from Nick Saban that we're giving away. Paul, it's, it, it, I'm intrigued. I was driving around thinking about this because we have seen Saban uh, over the last three months, four months, speak to his fan base and his team through his radio show, right? Hey, don't take Texas A&M for granted this week. They're actually a good team. Stop acting like we're going in and blowing this team out. And then they go in and lose, right? Like he, It's almost a fair warning. And I think... For year after year after year, every week, even this week, in years past, he has had to explain to his team, don't take this week for granted and just assume you have it. And now he doesn't have to do that. Well, for the first time in years, he does not have to do that. See, he's the boy who cried wolf, though, because he says that every year about everybody, doesn't he? And most of the not time... Not like this year. Yeah, but most of the time, it, it doesn't it doesn't really hold a lot of water because they steamroll people. Yeah. This year it has held water because these teams are better and his team isn't as good. You you talked yesterday about Auburn played really good oh, yeah. defense in the Iron Bowl and and Alabama's offense is not as good. That's why it's hard for me to imagine. Look, we know week to week anything could happen here and and those those upsets being sprung are the charm of the sport, but if if Alabama pulls this off, it'll really be impressive. Because as good as Auburn's defense was, it's not anywhere near the category of Georgia's defense. Right. And so Alabama struggled like hell against Auburn's defense and had to come up with a last drive of the game scenario and a phenomenal throw to score the tying touchdown and then taking control in overtime. It was hard as can be and as narrow as possible against Auburn. Now, Georgia is, you know, how much better than Auburn? Way better than Auburn. For Alabama to do it against Georgia, they'll have to play way better, and Georgia will have to have a bad day. And to me, the odds of all of those things coming together at the same time when Georgia's been building all year for this moment, they, they're they going to have to, frankly, choke it away. But, but Chad, he's been – I agree with you, Paul. It, it, Georgia's the favorite. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. But all year – Georgia has been circled and penciled and, and sharpied For into Alabama this game. Too. So has Alabama. Since the even the week of the Texas A&M game, we had the factor fiction on Outkick the Tailgate, Chad, about uh, will a team go unbeaten? And I said, uh, that's, that's fact, and we're going to see two teams unbeaten, and they're going to meet in Atlanta. And so, so Alabama has been also tasked with having to avoid the conversation about facing Georgia. This is the matchup we have all been talking about since late August. And then Bama lost that night, <laughs> which is but even then, shows we some knew. of the unpredictability. But yeah, we knew there was going to be these two teams, and here we are. We're in December. Today's December 1st. Saturday is December 4th, oh, and we're going to have uh, an SEC championship with the two teams we knew that were, that were going to be there. Nick Saban clearly views this team differently. He has all year. The messages to the team at his coaches' show, the giddiness over close wins and not frustration 
over the over the close wins. He knows this team is different. So let me play into this why that may be a benefit this weekend. Any other Alabama team under Nick Saban actually practicing the quote-unquote process of what he does about not playing to the opponent, playing to your own standard, playing every play at a time, playing about a victory within each play, those, that's the great Saban teams. That's what they do better than anyone else. doesn't matter if they're favored by 40 or if they're favored by three. And in the last 92 games, they've been a favorite. So it's been right. one or the other or in the middle. This is a team that emotionally has had some swings of play this year. So what if, just if, maybe being an underdog in this game is an emotional swing and a, a style of play coming into it and a mentality that actually benefits a Saban coach team that's unlike a lot of Saban coach teams. And they actually play up and play better than they have this year because, oh, for the first time in a while, we are disrespected. We're not the favorite. And everyone's talking about how we don't have a chance against Georgia. It's not disrespect that they're not the favorite. doesn't matter if it's not. If it is to them, it matters. Most Alabama uh, coach Nick Saban teams, Nick Saban coach teams, wouldn't matter one bit because they don't allow external factors to bother them one bit because they become robots like their coach yeah. and they fall in deep into the process and they don't care about anything else. This team is different. Saban has shown us that. He's been di- different this year. Their play has shown that. The way they're barely escaping against some of these inferior opponents. Again, I'm just throwing out the hypothetical. What if that actually plays to their advantage this weekend because now as the quote-unquote disrespected underdog we're going to go out there and show this world a thing or two about <laughs> Alabama football again. Again, I don't know that that's the case, and I'm with you, Paul. It's not actual disrespect. Right. We've seen it all the time. Coaches and players can take any Twisted. perceived slight yeah. and turn it into disrespect. If Kirby Smart loses this game as the head coach, it's not all on him. You know, it, Again, there's a good team across the, on the other sideline. But you do, we, we do start to continue to hear the label of can't win the big one. Georgia can't win the big one. They've been talking about this game all year, and they lose to Bama as the clear favorite in Atlanta. You'll hear about it for a month, but if they go out and win two games in the playoff after that, it's not going to matter. It'll completely wipe away whatever happens in that SEC championship. If, but the, it'll, it'll show vulnerability to a team that has been anything but all year. Agreed. Agreed. But what matters for Georgia, their fans, for Kirby Smart this year, is just win the, net, the natty. Because it, it, I've said it all along, it's going to take a choke job at this point. And that is what Georgia is known for right now, choke jobs. Even when they're the better team, it's going to take that for them to not win the national championship this year. And that is a big-time albatross on that program. Oh, yeah. Is everyone throwing 1980 around the last time they won it all? The, they, they should end that this season because they're the best team in the country. You guys want a nice NFL draft nugget? I love yes. the NFL draft. Right now, in the top 10 of the draft, only six teams hold picks. And if you hate the Northeast, if you hate New York and Philadelphia, get this. From pick four through pick nine, Jets, Jets, Giants, Giants, Eagles, Eagles. Wow. So they De- own all the, they Detroit, own the draft. Houston, Jacksonville, Reed, top angry. three picks. You just made Reed very angry. As, uh, I, I mean, this our is, noted I, anti-Northeast guy. Never seen anything like this. Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, top three. Then the Jets have Seattle's pick and their own pick. The Giants have their own pick and Chicago's pick. Philadelphia has their own pick 
and Miami's pick. I'm going to go on Carolina. a limb, Paul, and wow. say that won't be the case come draft night. Because you think the Jets are going to catch fire and move no, out of the I top think, 10. I think they're going to trade. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's going to get rid of one of those picks, and it's going to be all scrambled up. But it's funny because the Jets don't need a quarterback there, so they might deal out. Giants probably do. Philadelphia on the fence with, with Hurts right now. But the quarterbacks could go ahead of them. Uh, Detroit certainly, number one, needs one. Houston, John McClain tells us, will resist uh, this draft and, and wait. It's not going to be a quarterback I don't know how you resist. Heavy. I really don't, I don't know how well, you resist. Part of the resisting is that it's, you not, on a your great, next coach. it's not a great year. <laughs> but um, they always get up there. They're always at the top of the board when the time comes. Carolina at 10 wants a big-time quarterback. I don't know if they find him in this draft. I, I keep thinking they're going to go – they're going to be the biggest player for one of these big quarterbacks that moves, be it Rodgers, yeah. be it Wilson, be it Deshaun, be it whomever. Very – yeah. Um, going back to Georgia briefly, it, it, this tends to happen in some way, shape, or form where we have – you have a wave of great play for your teams in your state. Like think of Boston when the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Bruins were good and hot oh, at the time, yeah. right? Uh, with Atlanta. Tampa Falcons. Bay recently has been excellent. They Hockey won the Stanley Cup and the Lombardi Trophy. Get the Braves team's also good. You get the Braves just winning the World Series and breaking that streak of, you know, going since what, 95 and winning the title, and now you have Georgia expected to win their title for the first time since 1980. Uh, I don't know. I just I find it interesting that those tend to come in waves. What about this scenario? How do you guys take this? If Georgia were to lose to Alabama this weekend, do, do they crumble from that, or are they emboldened and then well, bounce back and go win the national championship, but, which is far more well, important? Well, what it SEC would set title. up is a rematch for the national title, in my mind. Um against those two teams, which would be great, great TV. Alabama's not beating them um, twice. I, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't think so. But I don't know if Alabama could beat them once, Paul. But let's hypothetically say Alabama beats them this weekend just for the scenario's sake. It's hard not to rebound against what the potential semifinal matchup would be for Georgia. Just putting that out there. Like it, oh, yeah. It's, 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 it would be Cincinnati extremely or, tough not to rebound and play Michigan. well in the semi. I think the only way that anyone gets them is someone exposes Stetson Bennett. Yeah. Puts him in pressure situations, has the defense to make that happen, and Stetson Bennett, you know, because he's not the most talented. He's a good quarterback. He's very good. And his stats back that up this year. And he's a winner, clearly. But someone puts him in a position where he's uncomfortable, and he, he throws you two touchdowns. See, they've in had a game. That, a that to me would be what would what would do it. There could do it. Bill O'Brien needs to call his best game all year, and he's been critic. He's been highly criticized all year for his offensive play calling and sequencing. Um, number two, that their right tackle's got to block somebody and and protect Bryce Young. That was a problem that we saw in College Station. That I don't think they fixed, and they can't have those every now and then. Those receivers drop a pass that should be caught every just every now and then they, these aren't your typical Alabama top tier wideouts they're really good but they're not top five talent as I watch them they're not top 10 talent that we've seen in recent years that's no knock at them I'm just comparing them to great Alabama teams in recent years and the third thing they have to keep the penalty flags to a minimum 
penalties are going to happen. Mistakes and, and mental errors are going to happen. It's football, but not to the same level that we've seen this year, week after week with this Alabama team. And again, it goes back to, can Bill O'Brien have his best game as an offensive play caller? Can they establish the run with Robinson and get something going against Georgia's defense with no, no one's been able to run it on them? I'm fascinated to see what Saban can do more than I am what, what Kirby Smart comes up with in this game. Hutton, when you talk about all that Atlanta area success, keep in mind the Hawks are 11 and 10 and tied for the last <laughs> playoff spot also. And that city is and the Falcons just are a playoff are currently in the, the hopes right of a playoff now, team. After Atlanta's run last year in the playoffs, they're going to be really disappointed, right? Well, I say that, but all kidding aside, the Hawks went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I know. I know. That's what I'm ago. saying. It's yeah. going to be a massive disappointment. Coming up. Jonathan Stewart about to join us, former Panthers uh, running back. Speaking of the Panthers, Paul, you just brought them up five minutes ago. We'll get into uh, the NFL discussion from a running back perspective. We will discuss uh, a bit of his career. We'll also get his thoughts on the state of college football right now. Jonathan Stewart next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. About to be joined by Jonathan Stewart momentarily. Looking forward to chatting with him, Paul. Um, 2008 for me does not feel like that long ago for whatever reason. Um, it was Chris Johnson's draft. You know, that was the, the Titans started 10-0 and 0 here in town that season. That was also Jonathan Stewart's draft. And it, it doesn't feel that long ago, Chad, that he was running the football to Oregon. And he was doing that in the era of USC with Leinart and Reggie Bush and everyone else. I mean, he's an immediately recognizable name that feels like we watched him play two weeks ago. Yeah. Right? He's one of those names that seems like it's been around. I mean, he had a nice career. Yeah. But it's been around for a, a long time. And when you say 2008 doesn't feel that long ago, I think about where I was and what I was doing in 2008 and where I lived at the time. And I think it's been a long time since Change I lived in that oh, house. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, since I lived in that shanty in 2008, Paul. I've really come a long way since then. His first two years. I I mean, I was looking at his numbers today, this morning. His first two seasons, he was unbelievable. 20 touchdowns in your first two years coming out. It's really, really impressive. He was more impactful than even I remembered. And I, I remembered a guy that kind of took the league by storm. Well, he was also on those... You know Chip Kelly, um, Oregon teams that really started that speed race in college yeah. football. That it didn't start it, but that's where it really got cranked up. Was that they were so different compared to other teams, and he was definitely a speed back. Let's talk to the number thirteen overall selection in the two thousand eight NFL Draft. Jonathan Stewart joins us on Outkick three hundred and sixty. Jonathan, hope you're doing well, man. You can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Stewart one. Yeah, we got you now. <laughs> yeah, you are. We got you How now. you guys doing? Great, man. You hear our conversation. We're, we're, we're chatting about 2008 and uh, reminiscing about the college days and the years prior to that. Oh, yeah. Those were the good old days, the, the simple days. So college football discussion we were having earlier, Jonathan, uh, centered around these coaches leaving for $9.5 million to go elsewhere. Uh, Lincoln Riley said at his press conference that USC will be the mecca of college football 
And one of his defensive linemen in Oklahoma responded and said, well, he told us this last week uh, about Oklahoma. <laughs> and then he left, which is a, a great response. From a player's perspective, when you see this type of movement, are you so jaded when you play big-time college football that it doesn't bother you? Or do you sit back and think, man, this, something doesn't feel right uh, about all of this? Um, you know, it's, I think nowadays, man, there's a, there's so much information out there for these young guys in college and in the pros that, you know, I think if you were to ask me that question back in the day when there was no social media, when there was no, you know, one thing you had was Yahoo and Google to get information. Um, I would feel some type of way about it, but knowing what I know now, I mean, this is a lot of this stuff, you know, that's happening is business oriented. Um, and you put a price tag in something, you know, I, I, I'd understand. Um, but as far as the messaging, you know, a head coach gives a team, I think it's, you know, his responsibility to deliver, um, you know, on a, in a way that, you know, is, you know, coming from an, a place of integrity um, and, and genuine. Um, and just being genuine and authentic. And so, um, yeah, it can get messy. <laughs> how, how would, if you're, in, if you're being recruited today compared to your time being recruited by USC and Ohio State and uh, eventually choosing Oregon, do you think it would have changed how you approached that time of your life and, and ultimately the decision that you made? Um, I think there would have been a lot of lot more noise and distraction around um, the decision making process for sure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, having the right counsel and the right people around you maintains the same. Jonathan, has it surprised you that it hasn't worked out better for Chip Kelly at UCLA? Um. <clears throat> Does it surprise me? I think maybe in the sense of he's not really changing, you know, the, his, you know, his DNA as far as how to, to lead a, a football team, you know, that would be surprising if he wasn't changing that, um, you know, college, man, these kids and the pros, I mean, every year is different, you know, and you have to be able to adapt. You got to be able to delegate and that micromanage, um, like I was saying earlier, I mean, the resources and the information available out there now, these, these college kids aren't, uh, are more aware of what they have to offer, their value. They're more aware of, you know, what they want to do and what they want to accomplish outside of football. Um, so, I mean, there's just a whole dynamic that has changed over the time and, I think you just have to have, you know, the sense enough to, to, to be able to adapt. And if you're not adapting, then you're not going to be successful. When you came into the league in, in 2008, uh, you had the, the great year with D'Angelo Williams where you both topped 1,000 yards. You scored 20 rushing touchdowns in your first two seasons. Was there any surprise to, to you how immediately impactful you were and the degree to which – you had success? Um, no, it wasn't a surprise to me. Um, and, and, and in fact, you know, 
Uh, I expected it out of myself, obviously, but I was limited even with the success that I did have with injuries. Um, You know, God willing, I was able to play through a lot of injuries throughout my whole career and and have a long lasting career um, despite that. And, um, you know, I I just think, you know, the, the the Panthers offense that I rolled into having Steve Smith out there taking guys deep, opening up the box. I mean, you know, having me and D'Angelo's chase of pace or change of pace in the backfield, um, you know, we really kind of, you know, set the bar as far as, um, you know, defensive having a night, you know, uh, a night's sleep ruined, um, preparing for, you know, how to stop a running game. Jonathan Stewart, our guest, former Panthers running back, um, I'm wearing the Panthers shirt right now, I, I may add. Uh, speaking of the Panthers, uh, when, I, when I found out you were coming on, I thought of the Panthers and Cam Newton, and here's why. Um, I was doing a, a pregame show about a decade ago, and we did like this off-the-record poll in the Titans locker room. On they, they could not choose the quarterback that was in their locker room, but which quarterback would they like to go play with? Um, it, offense and defensive players. I would say 75% of the answers were Cam Newton, which I was surprised by. Why, why, mm-hmm. why, what makes him such a great leader behind the scenes? Tell us what we can't see. I mean, what people do see is that he is a competitor. Um, you know, all the way through, that's what he wants to do. He wants to compete and he wants to win. Um, behind closed doors, I mean, this guy is selfless um and in the sense of his his personality you know it's infectious in a way that you just want to come to work (laughs) and you're okay with staying there late because you're around you know a guy that is going to make you laugh that's going to make you you know look at things differently um when it comes to you know your job and and just the excitement level that he just carries, um, you know, I've never met a person that is that charismatic about what he does. And, and, and that's everything that he does. I mean, you talk about when he's giving back to the community, um, him hanging out with his kids, his family, um, him holding my daughter, like he's all in and everything that he does. And if you are excited about a guy like that, then something's wrong with you. And I think what a lot of people were getting was a picture that was being painted of something different that they didn't really understand and they were fearful of. And, and when people don't understand change in an environment, they get fearful of it and all they do and all they can do is criticize it um, so that way they don't have to conform. And at the end of the day, Cam Newton is one of a kind and he is um, who he is to the to football and to the Panthers and to just anything he has touched along his journey. He is who he is for a reason. And um, the Carolina Panthers bottom brought him back for a reason as well. Well, and he was such a big celebrity when he arrived. You know, I think about that 2010 season at Auburn, 2011, you're there, you've been in the league for a, a few years at that point, and he comes in. And most rookies, when they come into an NFL locker room, there's going to be some hazing, there's going to be some ribbing from the veteran guys about, oh, this guy was so great, Heisman Trophy winner, this and that. When you come into the league as that big of a celebrity already, I think it'd be easy 
um, to have an attitude about it or also maybe come in and be a little fearful that, hey, these guys aren't going to like me because I'm such a big celebrity. How did he handle that in that first year? You're a veteran in that locker room also. You've been around a little bit. How did he handle himself in that year one where he was already such a big, a big name? Well, I mean, year one, um, that was the year of the lockout. So we actually, I mean, he handled that like, a, like he's been there before. Like he had, like he's been in a lockout before. <laughs> no one's ever been in a lockout, and he comes in and you know he's learning the playbook. He, you can see that his commitment level to the craft and, and to getting to know um, his teammates. Um, you know, we were practicing at a high school locally here um, during that year and uh, on our own during the lockout. Um, and he was part of the the whole organi- organization of that. Um, you know, this is a guy that, you know, brought a winning culture to the locker room and he did it his rookie year and his expectations were to win and he's learned how to win. He's learned how to lose just like everyone else has. And, um, you can only, I mean, at the end of the day, you can only learn and grow and, I think as a locker room, you know, the guys that's played with him for the amount of years that I've played, you know, we've learned and grown together. Jonathan Stewart, our guest. I I think I'm getting the years correct here. Your final year with Carolina was McCaffrey's rookie season. Is that right? Yep. So I, here on the East Coast, here in the the Mid-South, I didn't see a lot of Stanford football on TV at night, right? So I didn't know much about Christian McCaffrey coming into the league. Uh, I'm sure you knew more than I did. You played football on the West Coast. But do you remember, is there a certain moment where you thought, oh, wow, like you saw something at practice or at camp where you knew this guy was as legit as he's the most valuable player on the field. And when when he's on the field, the Panthers are winning. When he's he's hurt, chances are it's going to be a tight game or they're losing. Was was there a moment for you when you knew it just locked in and this guy is, is, is special unlike some of the players in the league? I mean, yeah, I mean, immediately, you know, when we drafted him, I remember, you know, me and him, we went and went to the stadium and, you know, conditioning test and everything going into training camp, you know, you got to make sure you do it at least once just to make sure you're not showing up the training camp gassed. And me and him went out there just to kind of, you know, do a quick, um, you know, a conditioning test. And from that moment, I was like, okay, this guy's in shape, first of all, because I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little gassed. Uh, I know I'm a little older and whatnot, but he he literally could have kept going all day. I felt like, but the actual true moment that I realized he was special was when we were doing one on ones in routes, and I've never seen anyone run a route, you know, the option route where you just go out there and you win. He made that look so effortless and he won every single time, but not just a win, but he made every linebacker look stupid. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like I go out there and run around. I'm literally trying my hardest to like come out of my break, not slip, be ready for the ball. I mean, he's running routes like a receiver. Um, So from that point, you know, I just knew he was going to be special. 
I'm sure you've heard plenty of, of the argument about paying running backs. If you look now at the highest paid averages, you've got McCaffrey, uh, Kamara's third, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, all have been hurt or are maybe done for the season. McCaffrey is. Henry might be. How do you kind of put those two things together where you want these guys to get the big contracts, uh, but some of them are getting them and, and then not uh, winding up not available to their teams because of the beatings they take and the injuries they suffer? Um, I mean, I selfishly don't care what people say about the running back position getting paid. I think we're the ones that are taking a beating you know, majority of the game, no matter what people are coming off, teeing off on us, there's no rules for us to get, you know, for safety besides if we're catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, and, you know, I think it's a high risk reward. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, teams that are smart are going to actually pay a player to stick around because they know that they are going to have the best chances of, of, of winning with them on their team. And so that's obviously where you see what you see at the quarterback position. Um, you know, obviously the quarterback position is the most important position on offense. Um, and, you know, you can argue, you know, what's the second best, you know, you can say offensive lineman, you can say tight end, you can say anything nowadays, really. Um, but for the Carolina Panthers, it was Christian McCaffrey. Um, and you see it right now. Like he's still, even though he's hurt, the, the, the whole offense and the whole team has changed because he's hurt, you know? So that makes him valuable because if he's on the field, they're a whole different team. There's not a lot of men who can say they scored a touchdown in a Super Bowl. You're, you're one of those men. But how bittersweet is yeah. it when you're the lone touchdown scorer in the game for your team? Great year for the Panthers, getting all the way to the Super Bowl, winning the NFC – but I know that's probably difficult when you're the one guy to score the touchdown, the Super Bowl, uh, on a tough night. Yeah, it is bittersweet. You know, I think I've had some time to, to <laughs> you know, at least come to grips with the fact that, hey, you're not going to get it back. And, you know, the biggest part of, you know, you know, playing professional sport and just in general doing anything that you love is, you got to be able to, you know, come to grips with reality is the fact that I was able to play NFL for 11 years and I got to play in a Super Bowl and I got to score a touchdown in a Super Bowl. So as far as the bitter, I've gotten over the bitter um, and I'm, I just tried to, you know, sometimes be in the moment and, 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 and just be grateful for the fact that I was able to be in that position. So, um, you know, I would have loved to have, won that game and and come out victorious but that wasn't in the cards for the Carolina Panthers that year not not only is is Jonathan Stewart a very talented athlete he's also a talented musician if you did not know that is is it true that you can you can hear a song and play a song by ear on your piano and when did you learn you had that gift yeah so I um I figured out that musical trait of playing by ear when I was in the third grade. Uh, my mom bought me a keyboard um, for Christmas and I just started playing it. Um, it was weird. My mom immediately or <laughs> actually, yeah, immediately just kind of figured it out. And so it's always been a piece of me that, um, 
that I appreciate because, I mean, when you play music, obviously listening to music, playing music, you stimulate certain parts of your brain. And obviously that's much needed when you play such a physical, you know, when I played football for majority of my life, having, you know, something to, you know, to lean on as far as, you know, finding some balance in a day, you know, I can come back home from a practice or a bad game and sit down and play the piano for hours and get lost. So, but, um, but yeah, man, just, I love it. Maybe a, a dumb question by me because I am no musician. Can, could you have done that? Let hypothetically say you had a guitar in third grade instead of a keyboard. Would it have been the same process? Would you have been able to do that too? Yeah. Like I, I can play the guitar now too. So I can't play it like crazy. I can strum really well, yeah. but, um, but that's about it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Do it enough. So you're a genius. Yep. <laughs> you're a musical genius. A and prodigy. So, no, 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 no. Don't get me started there. <laughs> um, I mean, if I if, if that had to be my livelihood, I could figure it out. Who have you worked with Impressive. in the past? Who who has been uh, like? Oh, I can't believe I'm working with this person or 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 this this, <clears throat> pro, this producer or this label right now. Has there been that moment? Um. Yeah, like um, Super Bowl year, I was able to hang out with Snoop Dogg in the studio and um, was able to, you know, make some music in his studio. And, and, and that was awesome. Um, been in the studio with Nelly. Um, good friend of mine, Micah Powell. He's a, a one of the best songwriters I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, he lives in L.A. And, and I've been able, I've been blessed to be able, blessed and fortunate to be around a lot of talented um, artists and um, producers um, and you know I don't think that story is over yet I think there's still opportunity there um, as things continue to unfold Jonathan Stewart has been our guest on Outkick 360 great chat with you man uh, hopefully we can cross yeah. paths moving forward and uh, I, I noticed the again I noticed the Panther shirt I know you're back in Charlotte at least I think you're in back in Charlotte yeah. are, you, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, are you working with the Panthers now in some capacity Yes, I am. I'm actually um, interning with Mark Hart, um, who is uh, the developer that is that was brought in from from Pittsburgh under Tepper. Yeah, uh, David Tepper brought in his guy Mark Hart to oversee the development of Rock Hill, uh, the headquarters that's going down there gotcha. in Rock Hill. So the Carolina Panthers are um, actually building a practice facility for the players, um, state of the art. And it's a great opportunity for me to learn um, the development trait, which is what I'm into now. Um, I've invested passively in real estate over the time, and I've I found a knack for development. So here I am. Eddie, awesome. Eddie George is a former running back who dabbles in literally everything, and I think we've met the second yeah. running back who can do that, the Renaissance man uh, times two yeah. here with Jonathan Stewart. Hey, man, great catching up. We'll, we'll uh, hopefully have you back on the show soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You thanks. got it. Follow Jonathan on Twitter at uh, Jonathan Stewart, uh, and then erase the T and put a number one. There you go. You can follow him there uh, and see everything he's up to. The man's that? a musical prodigy. Crazy. He's a genius. He I'm wouldn't say it, but key- I'll say it. I'm going to put a keyboard in front of you and see what you can do. <laughs> just I, I just want to get one put person. Put a plate of food in front of Chad. I want one of our guests to just admit they're a genius. I was trying <laughs> to get him to say, say it. You're a ge- after me. I'm a genius. Say it. I want him to say it. He wouldn't say it. He's a modest man. Coming up, a quick look at what is in store for the NFL weekend. Every week, there have been some great games, 
And there are several on the slate this week, including an underrated one. That's next on Outkick 360. Week 13 across the NFL with some solid matchups we'll be previewing over the next couple of days to get you ready for the weekend. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Bills and Patriots is the marquee matchup Monday night football as the Patriots and Bills will face uh, face off now. This will be the first of two games over the next three weeks. Yeah. And the first one will be in Buffalo this Monday night. And, oh, by the way, I looked at the forecast for Buffalo last night. Monday night, expected to be in the 20s, 80% chance of snow. Yes. 80% chance of snow. That'll be fun to watch. Anytime I can see a snow game, I'm all in. Um, The Bills have had the easiest schedule in the league so far. Really? And they've lost four games. Easiest schedule in the league. That is not good. Well, they have the long, I believe, yes, they have the longest current streak of any team in the league in their in any division, like divisional wins. I think they have not lost in their division since 2019 at some point midway through the season. See, this is going to help you when you play. Uh, now, they have one left with the Jets, so it means they've played the Jets once and they've played Miami twice. That's the root of that. But the Titans have the Texans and the Jags. But they've only played one each once. They and lost the, the Jets. Have, and they, just, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, let's, the Titans have played a, Paul, a tough stretch Paul, there. Six uh, games. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, it's <laughs> impressive. The division thing's impressive. Four losses with the best schedule in, or the easiest schedule in football, not impressive. Yeah, we know that they've taken a, a turn to, to, the, um, to the worst. Other good game, Chiefs-Broncos. And I, I bring this up. Chiefs are excellent with Andy Reid coming off a of bye week. Um, their defense is being, has been really, really good. Their offense is back in a groove. And here's Denver that only allows 17 points per game defensively. I, I'm fascinated by the matchup. That's the Sunday night football matchup. So good games in prime time. And, and an intriguing one Sunday at noon that I may get laughed out of the room for. But believe it or not, the Atlanta Falcons are a game out of the postseason crazy right now. crazy with their talent. They're playing Tampa Bay. And... I'm intrigued by that matchup because the Falcons have playoff aspirations as bad as they are, and they're facing Tampa Bay that's coming off of a last-second uh, last win last week against Indy, and it's just one of those lull-you-to-sleep type games that I'm, I'm intrigued by to see if Tampa is capable of being upset the same way the Titans were to a divisional rival. I think it's an interesting game. I think the game of the weekend. I don't think you mentioned this one. I think the game of the weekend is the Chargers at the Bengals. That's good too. The Chargers on the road. Quarterback play in that game, but those are two of our favorite young up and coming quarterbacks. And those are two teams that have found some footing. The Bengals certainly better than the Chargers, but they're very much in the playoff picture. They're very much probably a year ahead of schedule. Uh, but but they're right now two of the top four teams in the AFC. Yeah. And so this is for uh, this is a big tiebreaker game or separation game, conceivably. Bengals could really pull away with a win. Uh, Bengals at seven and four, Chargers at six and five. Chargers win that one, and they've pulled themselves even with the Bengals. Hutton will be in Atlanta 
And the Falcons and the Bucks will be playing in Atlanta on Sunday. We, we know a couple coaches call, there. We may yeah, be able call to Arthur. get some tickets to that game. We will be in that stadium on Saturday. You could just stay Saturday. in that stadium all weekend. Have Let's you just, been there yet, Chad? We can just stay in the stadium like Kanye. Just yeah, took over the stadium. We have the Kanye there. suite. You should have booked that earlier. I'll gladly uh, sleep in a concession stand if needed. <laughs> have, Go you, to both games. have you been there? Well, the both. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday, but it's open on Saturday. So you could just stay in there. and uh, You can buy Chick-fil-A tricky. on Saturday and keep it. On Sunday. Chick-fil-A in the stadium is also closed? Yes. Yeah. Have you been there yet to that stadium? I have. It's nice. Yes. I, I was there for Alabama-Florida State season opener a couple years ago. Now kick will be in attendance for the SEC championship game this weekend. We'll preview that. We'll also talk some SEC football from a Tennessee perspective. That'll kick off the final hour of Outkick 360 next.